Hi, I'm Susan Offen. And I'm Laura Potter. And we're your hosts today for Pure Truth. We want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for listening. Today we will be talking about family. And our scripture for today is from John 3.16. This is how much God loved the world. He gave His Son, His one and only Son, and this is why, so that that no one need be destroyed. By believing in Him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. That's a good one. All right, well, you know, as the holidays are approaching, we thought we would take this opportunity to talk about family, what the Bible says about family, and also God's plan for us as His family. With family, we immediately think of our mom and dad, our brothers or sisters, husband and wife, children, grandchildren, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and so on. You know, but there are also friends that have come into our life that many people consider family. There are people we work with that we have formed close relationships with that some might consider family. And if you go to church, you probably have formed close relationships with people there that you consider a part of your family. You know, family could be a broad term. It may encompass more than just your blood relatives, and that's okay. God never meant for us to go through life alone. He desires companionship for us. It's why he created Eve, so Adam wouldn't be alone. They had children, and their children had children, and so on. The simple definition for family is a group of one or more parents and their children living together as a unit. As a unit. And that definition comes from dictionary.com. But I think many of us can agree that family is so much more than that. It's about the people in your life that you spend time with. It's that deep connection with someone that you know you can trust, that you know will be there for you when your world falls apart. It's the love you have for another person that you know loves you in return. And no matter what happens, that love remains and is steadfast. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, I'd like to, um, as a spiritual director in describing an understanding of the family structure, I wanted to refer to a re- resource by Stephanie Tucker and her description of why did God create the family? Stephanie says, just like human beings, God desired a family of his own to care for, love, and bestow his provisions and blessings upon. In fact, all of us were created for God's pleasure, to be loved and to learn to give his love to others. The heart of God is expressed through the family. It shows his character and action as a parent and spouse and what's meant to teach us God's very nature and the depth of his love for us. That's good. While Mm -hmm. While as human beings, we will fail in our family roles at some level, God fulfills his role in our lives perfectly. Yeah. So, you know, on earth, the purpose of the family was designed to provide a safe haven where love, security, and well-being allow for the healthy physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual growth of each member, but especially for the children. Yes. The family trains and prepares its members for the battlefield of life. Children use the home above any outside influence to gain skills, to deal with emotions, to learn relationships, and to learn how to love. The special institution is meant to be a place of rest amidst a world filled with troubles and pressures. It's a place where we are meant to experience intimacy and find acceptance. Mm. You know, I was just thinking, you know, that's why the enemy would attack the family the most. 
to break up that structure, to break up that learning time. Training ground. Training ground. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. That's why it's after the families. Right. Yeah. You know, in Genesis 5, it's written the account of Adam's line. Genesis 5, 1 through 5 says, When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. The first family in the Bible was recorded in Genesis. The family was Adam and Eve. In Genesis 2.18, God said, It's not good for, like you just said, Kathy, it's not good for a man to be alone. Mm -hmm. I will make him a companion who will help him. When God gave Adam a companion, she was meant to be a tremendous blessing. She was designed to be his perfect mate and helper, someone he could relate to and love. I don't know if any helper's perfect, but yeah, that was his intent, right? Right. right. <laughs> the Bible contains several lists of ancestors called genealogies. Why are genealogies included in the Bible? The Hebrews passed on their beliefs through oral tradition. Stories were told to children who passed them on to their children. Even more important than preserving family tradition, genealogies were included to confirm the Bible's promise that the coming Messiah Jesus Christ would be born in the line of Abraham. Genealogies point out an interesting characteristic of God. People are important to him as individuals, not just races, ethnic groups, nations. Therefore, God refers to people by name, mentioning their lifespan and descendants. All human beings are related going back to Adam and Eve. Mankind is a family that shares one flesh and blood. Each person is a valuable and unique creation of God. That's good. In Exodus 10.2, it says that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. God said that his miraculous experiences with Pharaoh should be retold to his descendants and what stories Moses had to tell. No kidding, yeah. Living out one of the greatest dramas in biblical history, he witnessed events few people would ever see. It's important to tell our children about God's work in our past and to help them see what he's doing right now. That's Mm -hmm. right. What are the turning points in your life where God intervened? What is God doing for you now? Your stories will form the foundations of your children's belief in God. Yeah, you know, my parents barely made it even, you know, had enough to live on while my dad was attending seminary. And I remember them telling me stories, you know, of how they didn't have enough money, you know, to buy the groceries. And so they they took a walk around the campus praying and asking God to show them what to do. And when they returned back to their campus apartment, there was a bag full of groceries sitting there on the kitchen counter, you know. So awesome. Yeah, you know, and then other several times my parents, you know, told stories about you know, over the years, there were seven, you know, in my family, there's five kids. Right. And so my parents were short on money to pay the bills a lot of times. But out of nowhere, my parents would be sent like an anonymous check in the mail for the exact amount that they were short, or someone would give a cash gift to my dad for performing a wedding. And it was just enough to pay the bills and put food on our table. Awesome. You know, those those are the stories I grew up hearing over and over as my parents testified of the greatness and the faithfulness of God, you know, providing for our family. And these stories built up my faith. Even though I didn't experience it firsthand, I believed what they said, and it built up my own personal faith in God. Right. How could Mm -hmm. it not? Right. 
And then, you know, just as the years went on, when my husband and I were raising our boys, we shared with them the testimonies from my parents and his parents, and then shared our own testimonies of how God had continuously, you know, provided for us over the years. That's awesome. You know, I've had Uh several turning points, too, in my life where God intervened. One of these I've mentioned before in another episode, and it's when I wrote both of my books on faith. While I was going through one of the hardest times in my life, God asked me to write a book about faith, which means I had to write down all all of the things mm-hmm. that God did for me during that difficult time. Right. And he did a lot, you know. He took care of us when we didn't have enough food, when we didn't we couldn't afford to pay our bills, just like Laura was talking about. Mm-hmm. Somehow though, we always made it day by day, month by month, because of God's faithfulness right. to us. And another example I want to share real quick is it's quite a few years ago, but my son and daughter in law, they were going through some really tough marital issue, marital issues. Mm-hmm. And there were countless times that I thought their marriage was over. I thought that's it. But wow, you know, God intervened each and every time, and they're still going strong. And I'm so proud of how far they've come since then. Mm-hmm, that's that was, awesome. That's God. Mm-hmm. You know, God, yeah. he did that. Yep. He intervened. He had to. Mm-hmm. And the things he's doing for us now, you know, this podcast, but the things he's doing for me now are endless. I'm, I'm doing things that I never even thought I've, I would be doing a few years ago. And I know he's not finished with me, and I'm grateful and thankful for being a part of all that he's doing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. He's just so good. Yeah, we put all of our trust in Him. Yeah. You know, uh, people just rely on themselves to do things, but when you totally rely on the Lord, yep. He'll come through for you yes. every time. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't surprise you how He answers those prayers sometimes. Right. Because it may not be exactly what you're praying for. Mm-hmm. It may come from a different way. Right. But that's our God. Mm-hmm. He still takes care of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You know, I really like how you both just shared how God is at work in your lives and how you've passed it on to your children. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you don't have children, do you take the time to tell what he's done for you? Forgiving and saving you, answering prayers, supplying your needs. Mm-hmm. Retelling your story will help keep memories of God's faithfulness alive in your family and friends. Right. I know there are several stories in my own family life in which my Scottish grandparents arrived at Ellis Island to begin family life in a new country, the United States. They arrived here with two sons who were my uncles during the Depression. My grandparents had four more children here in the States and two passed away as children. Wow. This was really hard on my grandma. Mm. So she, she ended up taking the boat ride back to Scotland to be with family after these two unfortunate events. Yeah. And my mom and her two brothers were raised here in the United States. As I said, they lived during the Depression in Brooklyn, New York, in a very small apartment during this difficult time. My mom had passed down some stories in which she shared the lifestyle then and how they all pitched in to help the family's daily financial living expenses. Mm -hmm. Um, And she and my grandmother told me all about God and what he had done for them in general. And during very difficult financial times and the dangers of traveling by boat by then. I mean, she did, those are long boat rides. Oh, yeah, yeah. sure. Overseas, you know. sickness on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure they took months to get, you know. Right. It wasn't just a couple of weeks. It took right. probably a couple of months to right. get from one place to the other. They all shared a small living space in a neighborhood with many other cultures they weren't familiar with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in 1 Kings five thirteen to 14, Solomon builds the temple and he drafted three times the number of workers needed for the temple project. And they arranged their schedules so they didn't have to be away from home for long periods of time. This showed his concern for the welfare of his workers and the importance he places on family life. 
The strength of the nation is in direct proportion to the strength of its family. That's good. Yeah. Solomon wisely recognized that family should always be a top priority. As you structure your own work around the schedule of others, watch for the impact of your plans on families. That's good. Yeah. You know, God is all about family. Yes. He's the originator of family. And before we ever, you know, were thought of, God functioned within his own created family of the Trinity. Because there was God the Father, his son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And they worked together in perfect harmony, each serving and doing the work that's in their appointed roles. And we can see this in the very beginning when we go back to the the book of Genesis in chapter 1 where God starts speaking in plural, you know, form. He's saying, let us. Yeah. Because in Genesis 1.26 it says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. You see, it's in plural. Right. And, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and the, over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Each part of the Trinity serves a unique role in doing the work of God. So we can see that like in the Holy Spirit's role, we see in Genesis 1-2 it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. It's given us some details here yeah. of their roles. And it says in Luke 3-22, And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. And John 14, 6 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. And an advocate, like the definition of advocate, is one who pleads the cause of another in a court of civil law. So the role of the Holy Spirit is not only just to defend us, but it also, in other scriptures, talks about him being our comforter. Uh, He reminds us of truth, you know, so he brings things to our mind. He's also the one who empowers us to do the work that we can't do humanly, you know, in our own power. That's why Jesus advised his disciples to wait in the city until the Holy Spirit came to empower them before they went out to share the good news of Jesus. Because in Luke 24, 49, it says, And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. That's good. And then there's Jesus' role. We see that in Colossians 1, 15 through 17. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him... God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth, and he made the things we can see and the things we can't see. The things we can't see are like the thrones and kingdoms and rulers, authorities in the unseen realm, like in the second heaven. Everything was created through him, for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Mm. You know, in, in John 10, 28 through 30, it says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them from away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. So you see the relationship there. Yeah. So, you know, God being the creator of everything, he made humankind after his own image to be like him, to work together in partnership with him. The creation of man was an extension of his family, his own heritage. And you see God, the Father's role in all of these examples. He's sovereign over everything, that all that He's created. He is in constant working relationship with both the Spirit and the Son. And in the beginning, when you go back to the Garden of Eden, 
there was this perfect relationship between God and man, and they worked together in relationship tending the earth. And when Eve was deceived and Adam sinned, that close-knit relationship was broken. Yeah. And because God cannot look upon sin and no one can enter into God's holy presence with sin in their life, God made a plan to redeem mankind by sending his son Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could enjoy close relationship with him once again. And he sent Jesus to the earth to live life in a human body and experience everything just as we do in this life. The Bible says that he was fully man and he was fully God at the same time. In Philippians 2, 6-8, it says, Jesus has always been as God is, but he did not hold to his, his rights as God. He put aside everything that belonged to him and made himself the same as a servant who is owned by someone, you know, like becoming a slave. Yeah. He became human by being born as a man. Yeah. And after he became a man, he gave up his important place and obeyed by dying on the cross. And Jesus came to the earth to live life as one of us, living a perfect sinless life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice to take the sins of mankind upon himself and redeem us. So Jesus' death became our gift to be able to rejoin God's family and once again have that close intimacy with God that's you know was possible in the Garden of Eden. That's good. You know, yeah. thank you, Jesus, for your gift. So we could have a wonderful intimate relationship with our Father. It is only possible because of you. You know, I want to talk about family for just a moment. My family has had its share of bad things that have happened, as I'm sure many of you have. And yes. some were caused by the actions of, of someone in my family. Others were caused by something happening to them that they had no control over. You know, it just happens. Either way, it's in those moments that your relationship with your family is tested the most. Will you be there for them? Or will you turn your back on them and leave them to fend for themselves? For me, I used to have the people-pleaser mentality. So it was important to me to try and help everyone. I genuinely enjoy seeing people happy. You know, and if one of my children called me and they were fighting with their spouse or something else was going on in their life, you know, I always wanted to help them through it. Mm -hmm. But I realized that over time, they need to work these things out on their own, you know. So the only thing I know to do, and this is because God guided me in this area, and that's to pray for them. Yeah. You know, you pray that God does what I can't. He's there. He knows what's taking place, but I don't. So I pray for peace to reign in not only their homes, but their hearts as well. Doing this has never failed me or my children, and our God answers our prayers. You know, sometimes we don't get along with some of our family members for different reasons. So when something happens to one of them, it can be difficult to make the decision to step in and help them. Yeah, I think yeah. we all have family members like that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, we can laugh about that. <laughs> yes. There's definitely some uh, some. Difficult. So difficult times. We love know. them, but they're difficult. Right. You know, <laughs> and there are a multitude of scenarios that we could describe here, you know. So what's the best answer? Well, the only answer for me now is to take that situation to God and ask him what he wants me to do. Sometimes we walk a fine line in this area because we may be enabling a family member if we continue to help them. Yes. That is why it's so important to have an intimate relationship with God, because he knows what's best always. And he will guide you on what to say or do. And if he says don't do anything, then obey it. This means he has a better plan and you will only be getting in his way. Trust in him. Right. For me, as I mentioned a few moments ago, you know, I used to be right in the thick of it. <laughs> that was just the way I did it. Mm -hmm. I've always had a desire to help others. So I tend to jump in with both hands, not thinking about the consequences of my actions. And I can tell you that it wasn't always the right decision. You know, but I've learned to do things differently now because I trust God. 
And I trust that he will take care of someone I care for way better than I ever could. Yeah. Yeah. You know, back when, when you were just saying about enabling, yeah, it's, it's, you know, God has a plan and right. many times I'm speaking for myself, you right. know, when I have helped and it, it actually, it went against his plan. Right. Yeah. Take away the consequences for the person's right. behavior. Right. You're actually making it worse. You right. know, it's a, cha- it's a thin line. Yes. It's like step out of the way, Susan. Yeah. Let me yeah. do my work. <laughs> Let me be God. He said that to Kathy a lot. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Get out, step out of the way, way Laura. <laughs> <laughs> talk, to, talk to myself. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I grew up in a military family. I was the last child who didn't travel as extensively as my siblings did. I, wait, I thought that you did travel a lot. So to hear that your siblings traveled way more than you, yeah. I mean, were they just out, just travel the world? Like, well, no, they, well, they had to change schools every mm-hmm. like two, okay. whenever you get transferred to yeah. another base. Yeah. So I didn't experience that in my school okay. setting. Gotcha. I made up for it later. Yes. I mean, I left when at you left 18 high school, for Venezuela, yeah. right? But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think I must have been trying to keep up, up with the pace. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, they they did have to change schools a lot. And my dad retired when I was five. He spent a lot of time on the nuclear submarines far away and unable to communicate with. Wow. Ex- except for the limited worded telegrams, which in that... Um, one letter represented a word, so my mom could fit in more of what was going on. Oh, like at a home code, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. So she could write more of the message. The message, yeah. That's so amazing. That's good. So they figured it out. They had a secret code, but mm-hmm. I cannot imagine the strength and faith my mom maintained to raise all five of us while he was far away. And many military families are still doing this today, and it takes a lot of faith, patience, and perseverance. Yes, and I'm thankful for them. Yep. Yeah. Like every family today, it also takes the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians five twenty-two to 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Yeah, that's a good one. And also I want to refer to Matthew, in Matthew twelve forty-six through 50, Jesus describes his true family. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven, it's my brother and sister and mother. Mm. Jesus wasn't denying his responsibility to his earthy, earthly family. On the contrary, he criticized the religious leaders for not following the Old Testament command to honor their parents. He provided for his mother's security as he hung on the cross. They, mother and brothers, were also <clears throat> they were all present in the upper room at Pentecost. Instead, Jesus was pointing out that spiritual relationships are as binding as physical ones, and he was paving the way for a new community of believers, the universal church, our spiritual family. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. And in Mark three thirty one through 34, it describes the same truth about Jesus, except in verse 34, he says, Whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and mother. God's family is accepting and doesn't exclude anyone. Although Jesus cared for his mother and brothers, he also cared for all those who loved him. Jesus did not show partiality. He allowed everyone the privilege of obeying God and becoming part of his family. 
In our increasingly computerized and personal world, warm relationships among members of God's family take on a major importance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The church can give the loving, personalized care that many people can't find anywhere else. Right. So I want to ask this question, who is your family? My family today is, yes, my extended family and, yes, my immediate family. But the family I live with daily is my Christian family. Right. This is for you, Laura, Kathy, and many other Christian friends from church, the sisters I know from Bible study, and I have a niece who's very strong in her faith. Others from my spiritual journey, as well as wise teachers I have listened to, walked and talked with along my spiritual journey. How about you guys? Mm. Yeah, for me, you know, both of you have definitely become very special to me, and I consider you a part of my close family. Mm-hmm. Um, y'all just encourage me so much. Mm-hmm. So it's such a blessing. You know, I also have other sisters in Christ that I consider a part of my Christian family. So that's that's important to do, to have that. You know, mm-hmm. and God's really good at putting the right people together. You know, He divinely appoints us to each other because He knows when we put our minds together, we're unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, God's put me together with several friend groups over yes. the years. You know, and and it's a y'all are just appointment. yeah, y'all are just the the one I'm in right now. You yeah. know, it's just it's so cool because right. we have these divine families all over the place yes you know so grateful for mm-hmm. yeah. in mark three twenty through 21 religious leaders accused jesus of being under satan's power then jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat these guys they just kept traveling right yes mm-hmm. can you imagine serving traveling serving when his family heard about this they went to take charge of him for they said he is out of his mind <laughs> So with the crowds pressing in on him, Jesus didn't even take time to eat. Because of this, his friends and family came to take charge of him, thinking he had gone over the edge as a religious fanatic. They were concerned for him, but they missed the point of his ministry. Even those who were closest to Jesus were slow to understand who he was and what he had come to do. Mm -hmm. I feel like this must happen often in families, too. A person becomes saved and suddenly doesn't fit in the role the person's once played in the family. They have a new calling in the world. Right. The thirst some have can be mistaken for religious fanaticism, or some might call it being a Jesus freak. Again, missing the whole point of Jesus' ministry, as well as our own calling in our life by him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can attest to that. You know, I, I know some of my family, they think this about me. Right. You know, <laughs> but it didn't stop me. And as Jesus keeps pointing out to me, you know, he says they don't understand what they don't know. So... All I could do is keep praying and doing the things God, doing the things that God asked me to do. Mm-hmm. Yep, That's we just right. stay passionate. Yep, and what He's called us to do, keep and keep moving forward. They'll come around. Yeah, <laughs> God will take care of it. Another scripture that's very important when it comes to family is Matthew nineteen four through five. Jesus answered, "Have you not read that from the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife." And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Yeah. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man, no man separate. Yeah. I feel like these are two very telling scriptures that point to God, how God created us to build our families. Once we're married, we leave our family of origin to begin a new life in our married home. This isn't always easy. Yeah. No, it's not. Um, However, God, above all, desires an intimate relationship with Him first. Mm -hmm. From there, we begin this new family life with our spouse and children. Right. 
There was an interesting stage for me in my life, especially with my husband's job that required us to travel. I left everything I knew. I had done it before, but this was new. I became someone new in his world and work environment. We began, became a new family in this community, and I wasn't familiar with this lifestyle. This took a lot of adjusting and commitment to his work schedule. This mm. is his polo, right? Yeah. His polo. Yeah. I'm and sure way different than... It is, plus you're just, you're moving around constantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you get adjusted to something, you're, it's kind of like military. You're, yeah. you're moving on again. Yeah. And we, That's we hard. Are, it's not always the same place. Right. You know, it's hard to establish roots that way. Yeah. Yeah. Or friends or, mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. I began to pursue new goals while accompanying him in our new environment together. And I went back to teaching school, something that was possible for me to do with his job and schedule. Yeah. Speaking of this work environment, while I, I saw how the families supported one another in this world of polo. Yeah. So many of the families, as you watch the game on the side of the field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're even opposing teams. They all look out for one another and the right. children and the older children mind the younger ones during games. And it resembles what I see as God's family. Right. The game of polo is very, it can be very dangerous. Mm-hmm. And the children play off to the side of the field and all of them take care to not be in danger while having fun. Mm-hmm. These are long days. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And got to keep the kids having fun. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know. Got to keep them occupied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you develop that family in the polo world. Yeah. Yes. You know. It's good. Yeah, you know, when I my husband and I got married, we immediately moved from Chicago to Texas, which was 969 miles, you know, away from our home That's where we lived. I know, yeah, right? It is. And uh, you know, it's it's an 18-hour drive. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to if you want to know, yeah. <laughs> we've done it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's where we grew up. And, you know, we were alone, you know, down here in Texas and far from our families. And we ended up, you know, we found a good church to attend and the church became our family. Right. You know, we became friends with other young couples our age and started having kids. And it's like you, Susan, talking about, you know, the kids watch the other kids and if, even the opposing teams, their family, they're like family members, yeah, you know, right. watching out for each other. Yeah. They're just playing each other on a game. You know? yeah. And, you know, we became uh, friends with other couples. We started having kids together. It wasn't hard, you know, when you have that being surrounded by other family members like that. Right. But, you know, our friends from church pretty much became our family and we all helped each other out in times of need. We we had birthday parties together, right. we ate meals together, pretty much raised our kids together. And like the saying it says, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, our church family became our village. Yeah. Yeah, that's you know, so true. I think that's the case with a lot of people, yeah. you know, that involved in churches. Right. And this was also the example I think that was set for us in Acts chapter 2, you know, verses 42 through 47 it says all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and and to the fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over all of them. Because, see, you see, that's a union together in the Spirit of God. Right. It says they were taking communion together, you know, the Lord's Supper. Yeah. And that unites them in a way that even with blood family, you know, you're not as strongly, you know, together in, in a spirit of unity as you are with your own blood family. Right. You right. know, it's a, it's a deeper bond. Right. Yes. And it also says, A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. 
They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for taking communion together, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, they're praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved, meaning he added to their numbers. Right. You know, they just grew, and the church grew and grew because of this kind of unity and community together. Yeah. You know, when the Holy Spirit's working within the hearts of God's people and leading their lives, there is that great spirit of community and unity and oneness, you know, within his family. I, I really believe that there's coming a time like that. You know, what took place at Pentecost and in this time, once again, we're going to experience that sense of unity within God's family that will change the world. Yes. Almost everyone will want to be a part of God's wonderful family. Yes. yes. You know? I can't wait. Right? And so I just believe that's going to change the face of the church Yeah, for what's to come. Yeah. It's just a preview, folks. Kingdom. Kingdom mindset. <laughs> right? Kingdom area, yes. So another example from the Bible um, is, you know, about God's love for every single one of us is pictured in the parable of the, the prodigal son. That's found in Luke uh, 15, 11 through 24. It says, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. And there, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything that he had. And after he had gone through all of his money, there was a bad famine uh, all throughout that country, and he began to feel it. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to fields to slop his pigs. And he was so hungry that he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would even give him any of those. That brought him to his senses. (laughs) When you get hungry enough, it'll wake you up. It brought him to his senses, and he said, All those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going to go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. And he got right up, and he went home to his father. And when he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding, and he ran out and embraced him and kissed him. The son started his speech that he had prepared. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't even listening. He was calling to his servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put on the ring and, and on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a prize-winning heifer and roast it. We're going to have a feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here given up for dead, and now he's alive, given up for lost, and now he is found. And they began to have a wonderful time. I love that so that scripture. It's from the message version, mm-hmm. but it just describes it so perfectly. Yes. You know? It's good. So this is an example of God, our Father's heart, for each and every one of his children. Even when we go off and we live rebelliously, doing our own thing, living our own way of life, when we have a repentant heart and we come back to him seeking that relationship with him once again, he gladly, excitedly receives us back into his welcoming arms and celebrates that intimate relationship we you know, now have once again. Right. Our Father never holds a grudge or condemns us for what we've done or where we've strayed off the path in life. He loves us and accepts us right where we are when we ask him to forgive us for for listening you know more to the enemy's voice rather than to god our father's voice 
And when we ask our Father to cleanse us and remove the sin from our life, He immediately cleanses us and forgives us, mm. and we are made new and clean before Him because of the covenant promises, promise of Jesus' blood cleansing us. He doesn't want us to dwell on the past mistakes, but move forward in Him and don't go that way again. The love of the Father is great, and there is nothing He cannot forgive and cleanse us from and give us a fresh start to continue to keep on you know, the path that he's called us to live. You know, I love that, Laura. I love what you said about God not holding a grudge or condemning us. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, Satan would have us believe the opposite of that, right? Right. But it simply isn't true. God loves us so deeply and so completely. And because of his love for us, he forgives us of our sins and welcomes us back into his loving arms with joy without condemnation. Right. So good. And I found an article on gotquestions.org, and it's titled, What Does the Bible Say About Family? And it has some great information, and I want to read to you from it. It says, The concept of family is extremely important in the Bible, both in a physical sense and in a theological sense. The concept of family was introduced in the very beginning, as we see in Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God's plan for creation was for men and women to marry and have children. A man and a woman would form a one-flesh union through marriage, and they, with their children, become a family, the essential building block of human society. Mm -hmm. This is how the family concept started. You know, the beautiful thing about God is, He didn't stop there. Once we are born again, we are also born into a spiritual family. We become a permanent part of God's family, and this means our family expands. We then have brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the Father, our Creator, who's, who's the Godhead of family, and everything else flows down from Him. And the article also says, The physical family is the most important building block to human society, and as such, it should be nurtured and protected. But more important than that is the new creation that God is making in Christ, which is comprised of a spiritual family, the church, made up of all people who call upon the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. It seems simple, right? But when you throw in Satan... Everything gets confusing. Yep. Our enemy doesn't want us to have good relationships in our life. He wants to divide and destroy them. And he Mm -hmm. uses everything he can to do just that. So look what's happening all around us. It has been for decades, centuries, and even longer. The family concept has drastically changed from what the Bible says. The enemy loves to destroy marriages and relationships. Once the marriage is destroyed, the children are affected. How could could they not be? Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't want to go too deeply into that because it gets kind of icky with our kids right now you know we'll we'll eventually do an episode on identity and how the devil has been trying to destroy our our identities since he was cast out of heaven Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i wanted to bring it up because these children that are deeply affected grow up into adults and many of them struggle with the family concept because of what the enemy has done to destroy it right they're our future Mm -hmm. yes right They'll be taking care of us. Right. And that's what the enemy is doing. He's trying to destroy our future. Right. Right. So over time, our society has learned to accept all of these things that the enemy does to kill, steal, and destroy. We accept it as normal. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That we should just accept it. And most people don't even realize that we can do something about it. You know? So let's go back to Genesis 128, where it says, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. God gave us a command. Be fruitful and increase in number, which means have children. Multiply. Fill the earth. But the last part of that verse says, subdue it. Subdue means overcome or being under or bring under control. We lost that part somewhere along the way, mainly because the enemy doesn't want us to bring him under control. 
He wants to rule and reign here on earth. But in reality, God says that we, mankind, are to rule and reign here on earth. It's about knowing and understanding what's really going on or what has been going on since Satan was cast down to earth before man was even created. The devil is mad. He wants to destroy anything that God created. Families are just one of the many things that he has been doing a really good job at destroying. So, you know, but once people realize they have been deceived, once they learn what the enemy has been doing, it changes everything. It's difficult fighting a battle spiritually because you can't see it in the natural. Yet it's happening all around us every day. God created each person with a purpose. Satan knows this. He tries to stop us from doing what God created us to do. This is so we cannot do what it says in Genesis 1.28. Again, to be fruitful and increase in number, to fill the earth and subdue it. The family concept is one of unity. We are stronger when we are unified. We can do big things, monumental things when we are in unity. Again, the devil knows this, so he has made it his focus to destroy families because when we're broken, when we are divided, when we are so angry, hurt, and frustrated that we can't function, then we cannot do what God has created us to do, and we let the enemy win. This is also why the enemy has been trying to quiet and destroy the church for thousands of years. He knows if the body of Christ is in unity, his days of ruling and reigning are over. We need to wake up to the plans of our enemy who is with us here on earth until God places him in the lake of fire as stated in the book of Revelation. We are to subdue, overcome, and bring under control all that the enemy is doing. We have all the tools we need. We just need to learn them and then use them. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, I like this description about building a house God's way mm-hmm. um, that Stephanie Tucker provided in her book, The Christian Codependence Recovery Workbook. Okay. It's really great about describing family. And by first referring to Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. If we visualize God's perfect home, we will see a delightful place of solace, love, peace, and fulfillment, even though we don't always feel it. <laughs> right. <laughs> it will be composed of individual family members working in their God-ordained positions to fulfill the purpose and plan for their family. You know, you can do your best, you know, to raise your family in God's way, but our children, like ourselves, have free will. And this is where, you know, the power of prayer comes in for believers in raising our families. That's that good. true. That's so yes. good. Mm-hmm. You know, if a home is operating God's order, some distinct characteristics are bound to appear. For example, Jesus Christ will be placed at the foundation as a real person who is given the ability to be sovereign and in control. Therefore, his love and power will affect all aspects of life. Grace will permeate the family's environment. Family members will be allowed to expose their faults and weaknesses without the risk of rejection. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, that's, I mean... Uh, value, acceptance, and core worth will be instilled in all family members as a result. Mm-hmm. Unconditional love will be present based on God's love, working its way through each family member. This means there are no strings attached and no necessary tasks to perform to earn love. Instead of constantly trying to you give someone something and they yeah. think they have to give something back. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. The heart will be emphasized more than behaviors. Children will be understood to be precious, valuable, and loved to matter, no matter what they do. Oh, man. However, negative behaviors are disciplined. 
So good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, roles and responsibilities will be clearly defined and understood, allowing each family member to take responsibility for his or her own actions and allowing others to take responsibility for theirs. There's no blame game. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> boundaries will be clearly stated, defining what is and what is not acceptable. When boundaries are broken, consequences will be enforced to make it clear that the boundary breach wasn't acceptable. Right. This is huge. Yes. Right. Communication is real, open, and honest. Mm-hmm. All family members are allowed to express real feelings and share the challenges of life. Mm-hmm. Consistency will exist day to day, promoting a safe and secure environment for everyone, which is more like you can predictable. Yeah. You, you know. mm-hmm. When these functions are in place, she describes some positive benefits that will result, including these. Security, peace, and joy are at the foundation. This does not mean painful circumstances are not present, but it means that through all challenges, there is a sense of God's control, faithfulness, and love. Family members genuinely desire to submit to one another. When the family is loving, the members will want to please and to surrender personal rights just for the sake of expressing that love. That's good. The home is a spirit of freedom that allows everyone the opportunity to succeed or fail. It alone allows children the opportunity to safely learn from mistakes. Freedom is in not being able to just do anything. It's in being taught the inherent value of living God's way while exercising the gift of free will, mm-hmm. said Laura. Right. Yeah. The development of healthy boundaries offers the opportunity to learn how to set personal guidelines and how to recognize the value of submitting to all rules and regulations. Healthy self-esteem is formed where children are able to find their unique personalities, gifts, and identities, and learn the value of who they are in God's design, not the parents' design. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> right. The maturity process is nurtured and healthy growth takes place spiritually, emotionally, and physically. As we look at this list, we might get overwhelmed. Yeah. It should be clear that in some way, our own family experience won't always measure up. But the purpose of understanding God's blueprint for the family isn't just to see how we failed. It's also to understand his design and purpose for it, Mm -hmm. which are an expression of his heart. This means above anything else, we can peer into our Heavenly Father's desire to relate to us. Yeah, it's like he set up the blueprints, like she said, and the plan. Yeah. And we follow that. Right. No, we're not going to, it's not going to be perfect every time because, again, free will, right? Right. Everybody makes their own choices and then they, but there's, see, there's that set of consequences set up between the family so that they can be brought back to what's right Right. in a loving way. Right. It's, that's God's design. Right, yeah. you know, and um, and if we follow that, God will, and and we're faithful in praying over our families and doing it His way. Right, God will take care of things. Well, you know, He's got them in His hands. Grace will cover right what we can't exactly. We're not perfect, you know, yeah. but we look to Him for what we can't do. Yeah, you know, humanly on our own. Right, right, right. That's good. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus shows us how to pray. So we're talking about praying over our families. And this, he's going to show us how to pray in, course, in, the, yeah. in the prayer that he showed his disciples how to pray. He says, to declare God's kingdom to come on the earth and be done as it is in heaven. And our role is to mimic what he's been doing in heaven, like taking our cues from him, and do that same thing here on earth. So when it comes to having a family and being in a family, 
we should be the mirror image of God's family that he demonstrated for us. Right. Right? So everyone is doing, or everyone is part of a family. And you were all born into a physical family, obviously, right? Yes. But family is also about being and working in relationship with others. If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, then you're also part of the family of God. That's right. Yes. And the Bible tells us in Romans eleven seventeen that we are, that we, you know, who are non-Jews, meaning we're Gentiles, right? Mm-hmm. We've been grafted into the body of Christ. The Bible gives us an agricultural example that we've been grafted like a branch from a totally different tree into the tree that belonged to the Hebrews. And the Christian faith is rooted in the Hebrew faith. So they were appointed and chosen as God's people, and anyone not of the Jewish faith are considered, like I said, Gentiles. Right. So when we accept that Jesus was and is the Messiah for all the world, we too are joined or grafted into God's family, and we receive that same heritage of blessings that we were promised or that were promised to the Jews. And we become heirs to all the riches of God's family. It's a pretty sweet deal, sure yeah. right? I'd say. Yeah. You know, it's like we've been adopted into God's family, and we receive all the rights and privileges that belong to the blood family of God. Yeah. And as believers, we're covered by the blood of Jesus and cleansed and made new. But that blood also unites us and connects us as true members of God's family. So good. So Jesus shared an example of this, like Susan said earlier, when he basically rebuked the request of his immediate family, you know, um, that came and they wanted his attention, and his words, he showed which family took precedence in his life and ministry, but he also took care of his family's needs for sure. But he wanted to show others just how much the spiritual family of God took precedence over his earthly family. Yes. That's good. So that just shows how important you are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. You know, when we think of family, we think of the love we have for them. We think of the joy that family brings. We think of the good times and the bad times. And for some, family is everything. And for others, family means nothing because they have either been hurt deeply by someone in their family or they were never taught the family concept. There's many people out there that don't even understand Mm -hmm. what that means. Yeah, And that's sad. Family should come with love, but for many it doesn't. The enemy has done so much harm in this area, like we've mentioned a couple times already. Mm -hmm. God never meant for it to be this way, and it's up to us to change it. And I want to say this, you know, I've visited heaven many times now, and I'll, I'll never forget how I feel when I'm there. I feel loved, cherished, accepted, happy, excited, included, and so much more. Mm-hmm. And there was one time that me and God were standing high on top of a mountain, and we're looking into this valley below, and I could see houses, and I could see people walking and talking, and even from way up high, I could feel their joy. I watched as they laughed. I longed for it deeply. And I just knew that there was no sorrow or pain, only peace, love, and joy. And it was beautiful. And then I looked at my father, our father, Father God. Mm -hmm. And he was also looking down. He was watching his children. And the love that was on his face was stunning. It poured out of him. And I loved it when he said, this is how it's supposed to be. Mm. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. This is how it's supposed to be on earth. This is how we're supposed to live. Not in pain and suffering, but with peace, love, and joy. Mm. If everyone understood this, then we would crush the enemy and subdue him just as God commanded in Genesis 1, Genesis 1.28. Mm-hmm. We can have it. 
We just have to call it down from heaven, just like Laura said. Mm-hmm. It is as on earth as it is in heaven. Right. Mm-hmm. Man, this was a tough one. Yeah. As the holidays are upon us, you know, there might be a, there might be opportunity for many of you to spend time with your families. And no matter what that looks like, our hope is that you enjoy your time with the ones you love. We hope and pray you feel loved, protected, and cherished, accepted, yes. included, you know, and be sure to let your family know just how much you love them, too. Mm-hmm. All right, it's time to close. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on family today. Next week, we'll be talking about Christmas. Christmas. Yes. Yeah, and we just want to close with this scripture from Luke 15, 20 through 24. It says, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. And the son started his speech, Father, I've sinned against you. Sins against you. I've sinned before you, and I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to his servants, Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and then get a prize-winning heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead, and now alive, given up for lost, and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. And I know I repeated the same scripture, you know, that we did in the episode. Yeah, but it's, a but good it's one. just so good. Yeah. Just that embrace of the Father. He said, I don't care what you've done. Come here. I want to hold yes. you. I want to love you. Yes. And I just wanted to end the episode with that scripture. Yeah, that's how much our God loves us. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Today's episode was edited by Caitlin Beck. We appreciate you, Caitlin. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. We want to reference Stephanie Tucker's book, The Christian Codependence Recovery Workbook. We also mentioned an article earlier. And if you want to check out the article, we'll put it in the link, the link in the notes section of this episode. Before you go, we invite you to please leave a written review anywhere you listen to this podcast. The more positive reviews we receive will lead to more listeners that God can reach. Also, please subscribe. We would appreciate it very much. We just want to thank you for listening today and allowing us to pour pure truth into you. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at puretruthpodcast3, that's the number three, at gmail.com. All right. And please visit our websites. Mine is kathyzaka.com. Mine is laurapotter.us. And mine is susanoffin.com. And we hope you'll join us next time. And remember, live thirsty. Thank you, and may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may his face shine upon you and give you his peace. All right, until next time. Susan, Laura, and Kathy. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with ElectroCast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of ElectroCast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join ElectroCast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to ElectroCast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast.